Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a senior director at CFGI. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This is the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that I think everyone on the planet can relate to, and that's resilience. And I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Jody Welkerling, who is the founder of Jody Welkerling Enterprises, all the way from Australia. Jody, thanks so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Great. Thank you very much for having me on your show, Dave. Jody, tell us a little bit about who you are, and then we will jump in. Okay, I am a resilience specialist. So that is helping people with resilience, both from a personal point of view, so building their own resilience, um, and leaders from their own resilience, but also leading in a way where they're encouraging resilience in their team. But also from a business cultural perspective, um, helping businesses to create a culture that um, fosters resilience in their staff and general well-being in their staff. Yeah, so why don't we start by defining what resilience means? I think everybody who's watching or listening has, in, to some degree, realized that they need to be resilient and have exhibited some form of resilience. But what's, what's your definition of the word resilience? Yep. It's such a great question because it's it's the starting point. What are we actually working towards? So I look at it uh, almost as a two-prong thing. So the first thing is um, having in your life um, and setting up things in your life so that you, as much as possible, when stresses happen, things happen in your life, you stay in a a state of calm as much as possible. So that's the first side. The second side is is we are all human um, and obviously with that there are times where we do feel stressed and things that happen around us that aren't in our control do actually affect us. So the second side of resilience is when things do affect us um, and our, our stress levels and our resilience is tested, have things that um, can get us back to a state of calm, control, clear thought as quickly as possible. Yeah, and and obviously with a global pandemic, um, that's certainly a huge reason for us to all understand resilience. But and there's obviously other reasons even prior to the pandemic and then once this thing passes, uh, it, it's really driven by uncertainty. And in the business world, sometimes that can just be you know, day-to-day uncertainty or perhaps there's a merger acquisition transaction happening and folks may be unsure about what the future of their job is or their, their company. Uh, so how do folks develop resilience? Is it something that is innate that they can work on or is it a skill that's acquired? Um, oh, a little bit of both. So I work with people on, on three levels. So the first level is um, when people are feeling stressed, recognising it in themselves. And there's certain quick and easy things that you can do to reset um, that stress physiological reaction back to a state of calm. So it's almost like tricking tricking the automatic physiological reaction that happens when we're stressed. So that's the first level. Um, The second level, there are lifestyle and mindset things that have an enormous difference in how we deal with stresses in in our lives. So some examples of things like um, diet, exercise, sleep, um, meditation, uh, mindfulness, 
work-life balance, relationships. There's a whole lot of them. And then obviously the, the, the mindset um, in that as well so that having that mindset around how you deal with things um, in your life and how, how you create perspective on the things that happen. And the third level um, is the one that when I'm doing one-on-one coaching with people is, is where um, a lot of the work is is people who who feel stressed and it's it's a regular thing that that's a pattern in their life often there is underlying subconscious things that they are quite regularly absolutely unaware of that um, affect their ability to deal with stresses in their life so they're, they're subconscious things and they could be um, beliefs or perspectives of the world or values that were formed often when you're quite young, which is why they're, they're subconscious and they sit there in the back of your mind and, and can almost be like a self, self-sabotage. self So I work with people on that level as well. So it takes all three levels to actually really um, help people to take control of their resilience in their life. Yeah, talk a little bit about the, the connection between personal self-care and being resilient in the workplace. Sorry, I'll get, can you say that again? I missed a little bit of the question there, sorry. Yeah, no worries. So uh, if you could talk a little bit about the, the connection between personal self-care and being resilient in the workplace. Absolutely. So so for example, I'll give the example of, of sleep. So if your sleep is um, healthy and it's good quality and good quality and quantity of sleep, it means that when you are um, faced with stresses in the workplace, you have that basis of rest, which means that you are able to to handle those um, stresses better. Um, and obviously there's things in the workplace that can affect the amount of stress that you're, you're exposed to, but the lifestyle things expects, affect how will you handle those? Yeah, so the big question then, Jody, of course, is for folks who are in leadership roles, how can they build a culture that fosters resilience? Yep, um, absolutely a, a key question. So there's certain things that um, create stresses in, in environments. So things like if just say, um, there's a, a, people have a lack of autonomy over over their their job, so they don't feel like they've got control over their processes, or they have um, systems or things in place that create almost a, a roadblock. Or so these are just some examples of things that create stresses. There's a whole range of them. Um, cultures where there's not psychological safety, so people don't feel that they can. Um, be safe in expressing opinions that are different to others or trying new things or stepping outside of comfort zones. That's just a couple of examples, but there's a whole range of cultural issues that can make a big difference to the amount of stress that employees um, are put under and they face on on a regular basis. Jody, for folks who want to learn more about you or how they can work with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yep, um, can reach out through info at jodywalkling.com for email. Um, message me on um, LinkedIn. They're probably the two best ways to actually um, 
reach out to me. Great. We have about five minutes to go in this first segment, but I want to continue the conversation here in talking about the behaviors that you're observing when you're working with companies. And I'm sure there are some behaviors that are not only problematic, but maybe red flags. What do you see and what's your advice for leaders to be on the lookout for in their teams? So the number one thing always is to work on their own resilience. Now, the reason I say um, that is it means that obviously leaders, like everybody else, there's stresses that come up. It means that they can respond to stresses um, that come up with that state of, of calm um, and clear thought. Also, from a leadership perspective, building their own resilience means that they create uh, um, an environment, almost an environment of safety for their staff so that if their staff um, have problems, they feel safe to, to talk to the leader and, and go to them um, because, because staff just instinctively, um, when you see a leader who is stressed, they won't take problems to them. They'll, um, they'll, they'll behave in a way that's not necessarily best for the, for the productive um, outcomes of, of the business. So, so the leaders, first and foremost, is building their own stress resilience and then actively working on um, the things that are an issue in creating uh, stresses on staff and they could be their own personal leadership characteristics but also um, cultural characteristics. So as I said before, something like psychological safety, creating an environment where, where staff feel that they can say something safely that is um, different to, to say the leader's opinion, um, try things, possibly make mistakes, learn new things, um, and to create an environment where it's actually safe for people to do that because that's how... Um, development of your staff comes along. That's how innovation comes along. That's how people feel that there's there's a challenge and, and there's a need. There's their their voice is heard um, in the process. So creating an environment as a leader is absolutely vital. Yeah, and really quick here in the couple of minutes that we have left in this first segment, just to connect the dots for folks that they understand that this is not what we would call a woo-woo topic. There really is a return on resilience, and I know that you've had some experience on what that is. So can you just talk about that in the, in the last couple of minutes here? Absolutely. Um, so there are various studies that have been done on this around the world, um, and so, for example, in Australia, there's a very well-known study that was done by um, Pricewaterhouse that uh, basically said that for every dollar spent on um, mental well-being in the workplace, average of $2.30 return. Um, and there was, if we talk, so that's Australia, if we talk in terms of America, um, Harvard, group of researchers at Harvard, Harvard did a study on this and they found a um, a six times return. So for every dollar spent on mental health well-being in the workplace, an average of six dollars return. And for America, it's a little bit different because that was that fell in sort of divided between they measured it in terms of medical costs. So they said that there was a, a $3.27 um drop in medical cost and they also said that um, there was a return on drop on absenteeism of $2.73 so their average and there's various studies throughout the world there was a Deloitte's UK one that said for every pound 
there is an average of five pound return for mental health programs. Yeah, and folks who are watching and listening, take note on that. This is this is serious, and it's a real investment in your people and in your business. Jody, don't go anywhere. We're going to have to take a quick commercial break here. You watching and listening, we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. Today's show is sponsored by BCAT, aligning people with their purpose. The Brand and Culture Alignment Toolkit was designed to bring teams into alignment around their collective purpose and inspire each member to become the best version of themselves in support of the people and communities they serve. Our science-based solution consists of instruments that measure and map and collective perception of your organization's North Star and practical methods that help each member embrace and align with it. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking with Jody Wolkerling, who is not only the founder of Jody Wolkerling Enterprises, Jody is also the author of World Class Leadership. Jody, welcome back to round two here on Behind the Numbers. Great. Let, Thanks, let, Dave. Let's start talking about this book a little bit here and uh, tell us what it's about and what inspired you to write it. Interesting question. So there are patterns in what I see as um, challenges within culture of businesses. So that's basically where the inspiration comes from. What are these patterns of, of challenges that I see in terms of creating a resilient culture in, in various organisations? So the book is basically designed um, for senior executives, so your C-suites, your, your, your CEOs, your CFOs, your, those, those C-suite um, executives, and it's designed to um, basically explain these are the patterns that, that happen. Um, these are some case studies and how they show up in, in various organisations and what's actually the impact of this on the organisation. So it's it's an awareness piece and a, oh, I see that, I see that explanation applies to my organisation. So it's an awareness and almost like a this applies to me realisation um, piece. That's very much where it's where it's designed because obviously realising something's an issue um, and realising that, yes, there's experts out there who have seen this before, which, which means that there are sort of ways of dealing with it, is the first step in anything is realising something's um, an issue. And then for realising, then you can actually go and do things um, about addressing it. Yeah, for sure. Where can folks get it and when will it be available if it's not already out? Yep. Um, so it's not available at the moment. I suspect at this stage it's in final typeset at the moment. Um, 
I think it will be basically ready for distribution around mid-September to, to end of, of September. Um, if people are interested in getting a um, copy, they can um, hop onto my website. There's a book, book page on my website. So my website, I didn't mention that before, Dave, is just www.jodywelcoming.com. Um, or they can, as I said, reach out on the email, info at jodywalkling.com, um, or look me up in, in LinkedIn and, and message through that. So they can reach out to, to get a copy, one, one of those three ways. That sounds good. Can, can I ask you to share perhaps an example of a pattern that you've identified that, that folks can be mindful of as they're going through their day-to-day? -day? Yep. So... One of them, so there's 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 10 chapters and there's basically one particular problem or issue that I see in, in each chapter. So an example would be um, that leaders don't necessarily have an accurate picture of where the wellbeing of their staff is sitting. Um, and I generally find with this, the larger the organisation, that the more that that's the case. So... A good, a good reason why this or a common reason why this actually is shown is, is a lot of these larger organisations will do things like engagement surveys um, and they assume that their data that they get in the engagement survey is um, correct and they take it on face value. Now, that's not 100% correct because there's all sorts of factors in, in how people um, answer those. So it could be the wording of the questions um, and it could also be that people don't want to, they're either concerned about anonymity, um, they're concerned about getting somebody into trouble if they say something's um, a problem or they're concerned about ramifications on themselves. So if you look at things like engagement surveys just on their own, um, it's not an accurate picture. So, and I find that's just one way that, that businesses try to get an accurate picture of wellbeing. Um, but, yeah, that they very few businesses really have an accurate picture, especially very large um, businesses. And, unfortunately, the stats that they do have often are things like when somebody gets really... Uh, quite affected will do things does things like has to take extended time off off work um, because they're mentally not coping um, and yes while they are statistics they are nowhere near the full, the full picture um, and they're also you want to address it before people get to that stage so that's just an example that businesses not having a, a full picture of the the mental well-being of, of their staff yeah, sure. I want to talk about burnout for a moment because that's a term that I think everybody has used in, in the last 12 to 18 months, uh, either in describing themselves or describing their team. And I know for leaders, it's often hard to acknowledge the fact that they may, in fact, be experiencing burnout. Um, can you offer some advice for everyone, regardless of where they may sit on the org chart, how to yep. come to terms with burnout and what they can do about it? Yes, absolutely. Um, so awareness is the first step always. You can't address something if you're not aware of it. So the way I explain to these people a lot of time, there's, a, there's basically um, like a diagram of, of, of stress um, that's referred to as the stress curve. And what that means, it's like a bell-shaped curve. 
Um, on the far left of it um, is where there's no stress and no productivity. So that would be an example of just say somebody sitting on the couch watching Netflix. Um, as a little bit of pressure's uh, present, so for example, somebody has things like sales figures or, or um, key performance indicators or some sort of um, result that they have to um, they have to obtain. That's obviously uh, um, pressure. And with that rise in pressure, there's also rise in productivity that goes with it. So that that works up to the top of the bell curve, bell curve. The problem you get is where you get either um, large levels of stress or prolonged levels of stress without a break is where you head down to the other side of the stress curve. So again, productivity um, drops. So that's where you get things like um, fatigue and that sort of stuff. And bringing it back to burnout, the, the, um, the more extreme other side of that bell curve is when burnout comes out. So it's basically, it's almost like a state of, of emotional exhaustion where people want, they want, most people want to do a good job, but it's almost that they are at the end of their capability of being able to do a good job because they're just at that absolute exhaustion um, state. So the trick always is to actually see it in yourself before you get anywhere near that and have those things in place to pull yourself back from it. Um, and if you do get to that burnout stage, that self-care and addressing it and doing things to actually put yourself um, back in a good state is absolutely essential. Yeah, and when we were doing our, our prep call conversation, you had mentioned uh, the reality that a lot of stay-at-home moms and dads are, are experiencing during this pandemic where they're they're dealing with their kids perhaps during the day and working more at night and it disrupts sleep cycle and, and creating stress. And you've been quoted as saying that we don't have to accept stress as a way of life. So I think everyone on the planet who's listening to this right now is now leaning in to hear what does that mean and how can we eliminate stress from our life or not have to accept it as a fact? Yep. It's almost got to the stage there is so much stress in our daily life that we almost think that it's the normal state of being. Um, and I I think that's tragic because it's not. And and if we accept it as a, as a normal state of being in a daily reality, that has fairly major health, well-being, relationship, quality of life um, effects. So... What I, one of the things that I do is raise awareness to people that it doesn't have to be a reality of life. There are ways that we can manage it and bring ourselves back to um, a state of calm and bring in that balance in life so we have overall well-being and can really deal with, with the stresses that happen because we can't control the stresses. What we control is how we handle them. Yeah, so Jody, I know you work with companies and you, you also coach at an individual level. So are, are there some actionable takeaways that you can offer both leaders and individuals that maybe have arisen from your training, your experience, things you've seen inside of different organizations? 
Yep. So if we go from an individual point of view, I would say pretty much for everybody, have a go-to that if you are feeling stressed, a go-to thing that you can set yourself back to calm quickly and easily. Um, so a really good example is things like um, deep belly breathing, where you do a very slow breathing in and even slower breathing out process because that goes straight to the physiological stress response and, and works with the um, autonomic nervous system and brings you back to calm. That doesn't work for everybody, but that's there's a whole range of, of methods of bringing yourself back to calm, but that's the one that works for more people, I think, than any of the other methods. So that's from an individual point of view. If you're feeling stressed, have something as a go-to to bring yourself back to, to calm. Yeah. Um, from a leadership point of view, um, I would say, one, work on your own resilience because, as I said, leaders set the tone um, and be really aware of what behaviours and what environment and what culture you're setting up and the effect that that has on the people um, around you and does it add to their stress, does it take away from their stress, is it um, a supportive um, environment where people feel safe and cared for and hurt or is it the opposite so yeah the journey need to be aware of it because to be aware of it means that you can actually do something about it yeah we have about just a few minutes to go here maybe three minutes or so in, in this second segment but um, you touched on a lot of things here and i want to just explore the the idea about this remote work environment and how that may be an additional challenge for both leaders and individuals to really understand when somebody else may be experiencing uh, the stress, the burnout, what have you. So for the folks who are leading these remote meetings, what can they do to sharpen their, their listening skills, their visual skills, to hone in on understanding whether or not their teams are suffering from these, these symptoms, if you will? I'm so glad you raised that as an issue, Dave, because the environment has totally changed. Um, when we're just dealing with people over something like a, a Zoom or a, a Google Meet sort of platform, we don't get anywhere near the cues of how somebody is going. Um, so leaders need to be a lot more strategic in how they find that out with people. Now, um, there is an absolute need for one-on-one -on -one communication with staff. Now, obviously, in larger organisations, um, the, the head of the, the business can't have that relationship with everybody, but there needs to be almost like a chain of um, either leaders having that closeness or um, like a buddy system where, where colleagues have that closeness. So that um, having those conversations and it being acceptable to have those um, mental health-based conversations is absolutely vital in this environment because where you may have in the past picked up that somebody was feeling stressed by their behaviour, you're not necessarily going to pick that up as easily in this remote situation. So those relationships and those conversations are so much They've always been important. They're particularly important now. Yeah, and like you said, in a normal situation when you have the ability to, to 
be with someone else. You can see those visual cues, but if you're only seeing them once a week on a Zoom call for 30 minutes, for example, you're going to completely lack that. And I want to thank you for, for calling out and, and making us all aware of these topics that otherwise may have been considered taboo uh, previously, but they really are important and it, it does lead to uh, productivity and, and building team culture. Absolutely. Jody, thank you so much for joining us on Behind the Numbers today. Really appreciate it. Thanks you from dial for dialing in all the way from Australia. I know you're up late tonight, so thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me on, Dave. That's my pleasure. Today we've been talking about resilience with Jody Wolkerling, who is the founder of Jody Wolkerling Enterprises and also the author of World Class Leadership. Be sure to take her up on that offer. Uh, check out her website, jodywalkerling.com, and uh, get yourself a copy of that book. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and please do hit the subscribe button wherever you're watching and listening. And thank you for joining us. As always, we can't do this without you. Till next time, take care, everyone. We'll see you again on Behind the Numbers.